0: We're in 2 Chronicles 17, if you'll make your way there, because we're going to be looking at the text in the next three chapters, studying this strange fella. I love his name, Jehoshaphat. I love that name. And when I say that name, what do you think of? I heard some of you. I heard that. So for some of you, it's just like, well, it's a name of a king of Judah, like we're about to come. Here's the first picture of what you think about. I hope it's on the screen. First one is yeah, that's the king. I mean, that's a real picture of him, uh, and it, you know photo of him. But for others, you might think of this. anybody remember him? anybody know what his name is? This is when cartoons were real. This these are real cartoons. Yosemite Sam, and when he'd get mad, he was always mad. He had the weirdest curse word replacement words I've ever heard in my life and he, he just did it all the time and you hear it all the time but one of them was jumping Jehoshaphat anybody remember this phrase yeah I don't really know nobody knows where it came from the first time it appeared was in 1866 but where it came from and where you would think Jehoshaphat's jumping I don't know but for the young people this is a test where do you last remember it okay so uh you have to we're going to go back into the summer here For a little memory uplift, there was a guy who hypnotized people, and he hypnotized several people on stage. And Melissa was going, "This ain't real. This is fake." They, I'm telling you, okay. So anyway, so as they're doing that, everybody on all the men on stage had a baby. I don't, I just just go with me on this, okay? They were pretending like they were having a baby, and they had to name the baby. And it gets around to this man on the stage, and the guy asks him, "What's the name of your baby?" And he said. Jehoshaphat. Now who would come up with that? Who would just off the top of their head think I'm going to name my kid Jehoshaphat? Well that's David Underwood great guy a Harding student ex-Harding student, graduated doing youth ministry stuff but he also was at Caruso the week after when we were studying Chronicles and guess what his king to study was? Jehoshaphat, I think that's why he was thinking of it. Anyway, he actually, it, it was the most, I was in the floor laughing, Abby was in the floor laughing, and Abby was, uh, and Melissa was saying, It's not real. It's fake. It's not real. And I asked him the next week, I said, Do you remember that? Was it real? Did you make it up? He said, I'm telling you, no one made anything up. That's really what happened. You can be hypnotized for entertainment. And he was. I just spent a few minutes wasting time talking about David Underwood's baby, Jehoshaphat. Anyway. That's where young people might remember this name. But we are going back to the Judah king real quick, and he is an amazing fellow. He's worth imitating. Uh, we're gonna study this guy and look at chapter 17. We're in verse, the first six verses that was just read a moment ago. I just want you to see the characteristics of this guy. It says, Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place. Asa was his father, and he was a good king. He ended kind of weird with that disease of the feet thing. But then when Jehoshaphat took over, he was really good. He strengthened himself against Israel. I want you to notice that number one. He strengthened himself against Israel. He had an alliance with his sister nation Israel to the north. They worked together, but he strengthened himself against them. He wanted to be in alliance with them, but not unduly influenced by them, and so he was able to create this ability to be independent even though he was interdependent with them. Here's what I think is great about that. We, church, have to be in the world, but we cannot be of it. You don't have the option of saying, forget the world, let's do our own utopia. No, that's not what God called us to. He wants us to strengthen us, us to strengthen ourselves against the world and then go out and be in the world. How do you do that? Well, he found a way to be... Uh, kind of in association with Israel, but not of Israel. I love that line. It's a great thing for us. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah, set garrisons in the land of Judah and the city of Ephraim that Asa's father had captured. The Lord was with him because he walked in the, my version says, the earlier ways of his father David. I love this. What's it mean, you think, when he says he chose the earlier years of David. What's that mean? Before Bashema, before Uriah, before counting the people, he went back to the David Goliath David, he went back to the poet David. The psalm writer David, the one that was close to God when he was on the run away from Saul and he was relying and pouring himself upon him, he chose. He didn't just choose, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to be the best of David. I love this. I love it the way Paul says it, right? I want you to imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. Don't just imitate me. Pick the best parts. Right? I want my kids to pick the best parts of me because there are some bad parts. I want them to pick the, you know the chicken and throw out the bones kind of stuff we talk about. I, I, so he, he was discerning about who he was going to model his life after. I want to choose the best of that. I love that line. That's nowhere else in Scripture. And then it says, He did not seek the Baals. He sought God of his Father and walked in his commandments, not according to the practices of Israel. He made a conscious decision to reject the Baal option and pursue the God option. This was no automatic thing. He had to make the choice no to this, yes to this, when both options were abundantly available. I love the choice he made. Notice as we continue. And he had great riches and honor. All Judah brought tribute to him. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, courageous for God. He couldn't just like put himself on cruise control and do the right thing. He had to be courageous and overcome obstacles and other options. And, and when he did that, he, he made those hard decisions. It takes courage for us to live the way of God in the world we live in. You have to have courage, because you can't just say yes to God. You must say no to the world first, because it's in your face. That double decision is intense. Now, even the best stuff is yet to come. You ready? You're gonna keep following this list that's out there. I didn't have, I didn't know it was Dylan leading, leading the, uh, reading the scripture, but I could have gone longer, but I want you to notice the next verses and see why I chose not to include these in the reading. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah, and with them the Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zedidiah, Asahel, Shemariamoth, Jehonimah, Shikabiskeva, and Bibla. I didn't want him to have to read all that stuff. You know what these are people? These are people who are Levites that have been trained in the word of God. They've brought up in the Lord. And notice what he does with these people. It says that he got them and they taught in Judah. He scattered them around the nation. Take the book of the law of the Lord with you. Don't just have everybody come to the temple. You go to them. You take this out there and you teach them the ways of God. I I wanna set up Bible class. And they went back, he went through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. This is amazing. No one's done this before. It's like, don't just ask him to come in the temple. Go out to them and teach. Let everybody know. Equal opportunity. We're going to come to your home city. We're going to come to your house, whatever. We want everybody to know the ways of God. It's one thing to have a nation, a, 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 a whole tribe of priests called Levites. But what happens when they go to every other tribe and they teach the law of God? I like what EEM does. It's one of the missions they have. They, they want to send that Bible all over the world. Send the Bible and then find people who can go get that Bible and teach it to the people. And every, that's the whole thing. Let's get it out there. We want it to be out there. I love this. What it means is, I don't want you just to hear applications in sermons. I want you to be able to to have access to the word and apply it in your own life, just like we talked about this morning. Then in chapter 18, he's approached by Ahab to go to war with him. We studied this last time. We're not going to go into this story. I'm just going to remind you of what it was, but we are going to point out one detail that the Chronicle writer includes that the King writer didn't, and that's going to be for just a little bit. But Ahab says, go to war with me. And do you remember what he did? I'll go to war with you, but will you consult God first? Let's get God's opinion first. I love this. That's what he did. He insists on consulting with God before he makes a a move like that. That seems like I'm impressed. This guy is getting a a pretty good resume going for himself. Then chapter 19, just jump to 19, verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem. He went out again among the people. This is the weirdest. This is just so strange, and it reminds me of a couple of New Testament passages. He went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim. He got out of his palace. He got out of the capital city of Zion, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. I want to go reclaim people. I want to go find people who've kind of become kind of on the fringe, and they're just not coming around anymore. He appointed judges also. So he went out and he said, man, there's some people who are just kind of drifting. I want to bring you back. So the king went out to them to bring them back. Isn't that strange? Galatians chapter six, verse one. When you see someone drift off, you who are spiritual, go restore such a one. Or maybe James chapter five, verse 20, when he says, you know, someone, if you reclaim someone from the error of the way, you save them from multitude of sins. Are there people who should be here who aren't? Have you at least made the effort To go get them. That's what this king does. And that's just so strange. He doesn't send people. He himself goes. And then it says he trained judges. You see that too. Trained people to be judges who would judge not for man, verse 6, but for the Lord. And he gave them this charge in verse 9. And he charged them, thus shall you do in the fear of the Lord and faithfulness of your whole heart whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandments, statutes, or rules. Then you will warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do and you shall not incur guilt. I want you to be able to train people and make decisions for people in line with the truth and always, always being steadfast in what God wants you to do. I want judges, people to be able to access the mind of God when they have troubles and they can't do it on their own. This guy is special. Listen, if I had a son today, I'd name him Jehoshaphat. This is impressive. With Melissa's approval, I guess. But then comes one of the most amazing experiences in all scripture. I would have never written a story like this. It's where jumping Jehoshaphat kind of came from. I guess. I'm not really sure where the jumping thing, because he's told to be still. But we go to chapter 20. There's trouble. Two nations join with another nation. They conspire against Jehoshaphat for battle, verse 1. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude, verse two, is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in this city and Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. He told everybody, stop eating, start praying. And he assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They began to seek the Lord. The people realized Jehoshaphat was in trouble. We're in trouble, let's go to God. And he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before. Before the new court, and he said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. You're not just our God, you're over every nation. This is an amazing statement and prayer of faith right here. In your hand are power and might, so that there's none able to withstand you. And he goes through this history of how God has been ruling over the entire cosmos. And he asks for help. verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Doesn't get any easier. Son of Zechariah, son of Beniah, son of Jile. Okay, you get the idea. A Levite from the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And here, after his great prayer, it's a beautiful prayer. After that prayer, this prophet stands up and says, i got a word for you. Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, it is a great horde of people, they are way outnumbered, for the battle is not yours, it's God's, tomorrow go down against them, behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, God knows where they're coming out to start the battle, and he says, I want you to go there and meet them when they come out. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of God, God knows where they're going to be. You will not need to fight. Forget the armor. Forget your swords and spears. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. This sounds a lot like what God told Moses and Israel at the Red Sea. Stand firm, hold your position, see the salvation of the Lord Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the son of the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, at a very loud voice. Okay, so they had praised God. So here's what happens the next day. All Judah, kids, Wives, older kids, named, listed, stood before the Lord. Jehazel comes out and tells them, Don't worry about it. We're going to be taking care of this. And so they bowed and the Levites worshiped. The next morning they went to where God told them to be. Jehoshaphat told the people, Trust the Lord. He will establish you and you will succeed. He got the nation's song leaders, all their Mitchells and Matts. He got them all together at the front. I'm serious about this. This is their battle strategy, church. This is all they did. They didn't have weapons, bows and arrows, and all that stuff. They put their song leaders in front. I'm all for that. And I want you to sing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. It sounds a lot like Psalm 136. And while they sang... This is the battle strategy. This is what God told them. That's what this picture is. They got out front. They started singing this rousing version of this song. And while they sang, the Lord set up an ambush against the attackers. The men turned on each other. They obliterated each other while the hymns were being sung. This, Matthew, would make a great video. It would be violent and bloody, and you would see them turning on each other and stabbing each other, cutting each other's heads off. And meanwhile, in the background, there's this wonderful, subdued, wonderful praise singing going on. It's a, it's, it's a disconcerting picture. Slaughter here, and over here, the beautiful songs of God. Wouldn't that make a great video? Amazing grace. <laughs> Right, right in the gut. I mean, all this, this, all this going on here, and all, the, all they're doing is singing. They're just singing. People looked at the enemy and realized that not one of them were alive left. They slaughtered each other. God created a confusion. And they hit pay dirt with all the spoils, and they went and got all the stuff they needed from the battle. And then... They gathered in the valley of Barakah, which means blessing, and praised the Lord. And they went back to Jerusalem and praised him some more. And the nations around them were terrified to mess with them, scared to death of their God. And I remember as a kid, saying to my parents, do I need to go on Sunday night? It's just singing night. It's just singing night. You know, all we're doing is singing I wonder sometimes if while we're singing, God's doing some slaughtering of trouble. I wonder if while we're in here singing and we're thinking about what are we doing here? We should be out there saving the world. You are saving the world! You are! While you're singing, God's taking care of the entire cosmos. And he says, you just sing praise to me and it will be wonderful, motivating music to me and I'll take care of your troubles while you're singing. Isn't that a cool thing? This chapter is amazing. And if you aren't just amazed by that, something's wrong with you, Sunday night crowd. He is somebody special, but there is a flaw that we see in Jehoshaphat. In 18, verse 1, just go back, just these little snippets. Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Uh. A marriage alliance. His son Jehoram, he married off to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. If you know anything about history, there's only one queen, not legitimate, one queen over God's people, and it was this little witch right here, Athaliah, Ahab's daughter. This good king made his son marry her for a marriage alliance. While he strengthened himself as a nation against Israel, he didn't protect his own family from Israel. What is wrong with you? Don't fail to take the seriousness that you take church into your family too. And how did this turn out? I want you to look at chapter 21. This is just a glimpse ahead. Josaphat slept with his fathers, was buried with his father in the city of David. Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers, the other sons, and what did he do to them? They, uh, their father gave them great gifts, you know, and they were all kind of they equal, I guess, rights to the throne except for the oldest. He gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn, and when he ascended the throne of his father, he killed all his brothers with a sword, and some, and even some of the princes of Israel. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. He made a fundamental mistake in making a marriage alliance for his son that he should have never made, and it was his fault. Number two, chapter 19. After that fight with Ahab that gets Ahab killed, and he, he, asked, he asked Ahab, hey, before we make this war thing, before we go to war together, we got to consult with God first. I want to know what God says about this. That's a noble thing, right? Okay. But when that war is over, Ahab dies in his chariot, you may remember last week. Jehoshaphat goes back home. Chapter 19, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his home in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. You're not going to suffer terrible consequences, but the prophet says, This was wrong. Now here's the irony. You may, Ahab, go ask God if we should fight this battle or not, but you never ask God if you should ally with him in the first place. Where was your consultation then? Listen, we can pick and choose when we're going to go to God. We can say, I want to know what he thinks about this, and I want to put this under his dominion, his sovereignty, and then there's other things in your life that you let to be outside of that. We've got to put it all under there. Let's be people who put every decision we make under the sovereign will of God and don't leave anything out. Sometimes we just don't want to know what he thinks. So instead of a marriage alliance, this time it's a military alliance and then there's one more see this in chapter 20 at the very end of the chapter it's just one of those like appendices right appendix i don't appendix it's the thing at the end of a book right after jehoshaphat verse 35 king of judah joined with ahaziah king of israel in a commercial alliance now And this is Ahab's son. Again, he just can't seem to stay away from this, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built the ships. Then Eleazar, son of somebody, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you've joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you've made. And those ships were wrecked. They weren't to get into the naval business. He made a commercial alliance with this guy. It's just, there's something weird. There's this kernel flaw in Jehoshaphat, and I want us to look at it because just for a brief time, because I think it's in us. He was a pastoral kind of guy. He was very much in tune with the people, and he loved people, and he wanted to serve people, and he wanted to be a people pleaser. He wanted to be a person who helped. And sometimes, y'all, when you have a heart like that, it can be misled, And it can be distorted. It can be messed up. It can be neutralized. It can be imposed upon. In chapter 18, verse 2, it says of him about this battle with Ahab. After some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him. He set up this great big feast in the honor of Jehoshaphat. It was flattering him, and for the people were with him, and induced him. He tricked him. He tricked him. This is what can happen. You can be such a person who wants to say yes that when a strong personality comes into your life, you can't resist saying yes when you should. It's like I don't have this ability to say no. Be careful when there's somebody around you who has a stronger personality than you. and there's no way that you can solve this. There's no way that you can eliminate this but be aware of this character flaw in you and let you know around me right now is somebody with a really dominant strong personality really believes passionately in something and i I have a tendency to rise up and match this i have a tendency to match their anxiety i have a tendency to match their 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 intensity and sometimes i run past stop signs of my own be careful with this, right? Keep going on the screen. I'm going to use the screen. When one of your strengths is carrying pastoral heart, you're in danger of letting it become a weakness. Your strength suddenly becomes a weakness when put in the wrong context. I know people like this. I want to please people, and that's wonderful until it isn't. It's great until it's terrible. And often you don't know it until it's over. You know, We had the greatest of intentions. Yes, you had the greatest of intentions, not the greatest of wisdom. We'll hit it one more time. There's no cure for this, like I said, but you need to be aware of this. Everyone, everybody, nearly everybody in ministry has this. Nearly everybody in ministry has this. And you have to self-regulate and learn to discern what the wise thing is. go to the next screen if you would. Here are the danger areas for us, and it was with him. Scheduling your time. What do you do with your time? There's a limited amount of time, and you can't add any more. There's a finite amount, right? There's a certain amount of time you get. And you need to do the things that you need to do in those things. And people are going to come and try to claim more of it. And the more you give it away, the less you have for your own family. And I used to say this. There was this guy at Kennett that would come by. And he would come by at the worst times. And he would take up so much time. And I got to thinking, the more time I spend with you, the less time I spend with my kids. So no offense to you. I'm going to have to put some boundaries here. Because by saying yes and giving you this time, I'm taking it away from them. And that's a trade that's not not worth making. I'm not going to make. That doesn't mean you don't have work time that you need to give to people. Yes, you do. A limited amount. It's not unending. It's not open-ended. It it needs to be short-circuited, right? Here's another area of your life. Valuing relationships and the opinions of other people. We have people in our lives we want to please for some reason. We think highly of their opinions of us. And often we will overcommit in order to please them and it hurts you and it hurts them and it hurts everybody. Third one, when you're given positions of influence, what commitments do you accept? So many people are overcommitted to too many things. He couldn't say no to Ahab. I don't know why. Jehoshaphat just couldn't. He couldn't do it. Whatever Ab wanted, he gave him. You want my son? Here's my son. You want my military? Here's my military. You want my, my money for business? Here's money for business. What in the world? Because he's a people pleaser. It's a dangerous thing. Next screen. I just wanted to pose some questions for you to ask yourself. Yeah, yeah this, pra- this story is practical to us. This is probably the good Sunday night church crowd flaws. Right? Most of you are not going to go out there and do evil things like murder people or, you know, commit adultery and stuff like that. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to overcommit our lives. We're going to try to please people all the time and, and never tell, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is what we do. Is this relationship or situation too strong for me to continue being myself? He should have asked himself that when Ahab comes. Every time he approached Ahab, He should have gone, you know, I'll go so far and and be in alliance with him, but I've got to stop somewhere. I have to, and some of you have certain people in your life who keep demanding more and more time and you keep giving it to them and it causes stress everywhere else in your life. Cut something loose or someone. Am I letting someone else's cause or personality hijack my own? You want to live the Christian life, but here comes somebody who doesn't, and their personality is so strong that you don't influence them. They lead you, and you cannot be who you're supposed to be as long as you're around this person. Admit it, see it, engage it, monitor it, and then do something about it. Is this redirecting my attention to something that is not worthy of it? A lot of this is the same question in a different form. That's the secret. Next screen. Am I allowing flattery or desire to rescue someone open me up to situations I'll later regret? Does this, being involved in this, distract me from my real priorities in life? I know there might be people, there might be people who think I really should do this, but I, I don't have the time to do it. If that is the priority, you need to make the time and get it from somewhere else. If it's not, then don't say it is. Is adding this to my life going to cause me to give mediocre attention to more important things? Suddenly, I can't really give quality attention to this because I'm doing this over here and nobody really gets the best of me. That's Jehoshaphat's flaw. He just couldn't say no. He couldn't put the boundaries in place and enforce them. We need to be careful about this. A couple of things I want to say before we conclude, and that is I'm wearing an LSU tie. LSU's playing tonight. Why am I wearing an LSU tie? Because I couldn't stand putting on an ASU one right now. Uh, So I'm thinking about Mac because he loved LSU. He'd be proud of me. He'd send me a card, and he might even put a $2 bill in it this time. I also have a friend who watches every one of these sermons. Some point in time, and I'm, I'm testing him to see when he texts me and says, I heard that. His name's Joe Yale. He's a pediatric dentist in uh, Louisiana, and he watches every single one of them. And he sends me this little note every once in a while. I just want him to know. I'm thinking about him. I hope that his team wins tonight. Okay, so LSU. The Coker Funeral is Wednesday here at the building at 11 o'clock. For those of you who are, I don't know if we announced that or not, but it starts at 10 and then services at 11 and Shirley's going to need our support. She is a hero to me, how she handled all that for the last few years, an amazing woman who's a living sacrifice for God and taking care of her family. I just think that's a cool thing. And there's somebody who, because of memory loss and taking care of your loved one at home, misses out on some other things in the family. And I, I think about her when I think about this sermon because I'm thinking she had to miss out on a lot of those grandkids thing. Now, she got to participate in a lot of it, but she missed a lot of it taking care of her husband. And I wonder if sometimes you think I'm missing out on something. And I want to tell you something that I think. I think the example that family has of what she provided in being there for her husband was exactly how she could care the best for her grandkids. Let them see what you do when you're family, when you're married, And you got to stay home. He might be a roamer. I got to take care of this. And I can't go maybe to your ball games or your cheer things. Not all of them. Because I got to stay here and take care of your grandfather. She chose the right thing she modeled for her family what that looks like. This is one of those moments where it's a hard decision because of what it costs you, but it's an easy decision of what's right and the covenant you made when you said I do. And I love that about her and I love that example that we see right here at Valley View. I understand sometimes these are the kinds of things that I see even in everyday life. We commit ourselves to too many things over there and leave behind the most important. You may miss out on some things because of the covenant you make with God, but it communicates so much more than what you miss. We should be like Shirley. We should be like Jehoshaphat. Care about people. Serve people. Influence others for good. But recognize that Jehoshaphat flaw, right? Careful to regulate yourselves at all times because sometimes Helping others hurts your walk of faith, which doesn't help them or you in the long run. So be aware, be alert, listen to trusted voices you gather around you and have a plan for this blind spot. It doesn't, it doesn't erase how great this man was. I'd still name my kid after him. But being a person of God means we make difficult decisions sometimes about the relationships we have and the things we do. If our faith doesn't have the power to overrule some relationships we have, to determine how we spend our actual time out of principle to the words of Scripture, then it's not really God who's sovereign in our lives. If there's anything we can do for you this evening in your spiritual life and walk with God, we'd be glad to help as we stand and sing to encourage you.